Hello, welcome back to the Pulpit Pew podcast. It was good to be back with my class today. We are back in our parables study. And this week we are in Luke chapter 12, looking at Jesus actually being interrupted with a very selfish question that caused him to pivot and give a parable. And that's what we looked at today. So let's get right into our study. We're going to be in Luke chapter 12. Here it is, the rich fool. Take your Bible and let's go to... Luke chapter 12 for today's parable. Luke chapter 12. Last week they should have taught, if they followed the outline, they were probably in Matthew 25 talking about the talents. I'm pretty sure they were because we were discussing it during the week even while I was on vacation. But this week we are in Luke chapter 12 and the, the parable is going to begin... Well, this discussion right before the parable is going to begin in verse 13. But I, I just, as I was studying this week, I really want to back up to verse 1. Which, as you know, if you've been in my class, is dangerous because I can get sidetracked reading and I'm going to try not to. But it's, it's interesting what happened. Now, I remember I wanted to lead with something. Does anyone remember right now, off the top, just off the top of your head, does anyone remember what the Tenth Commandment is in the Ten Commandments? The first part. Anybody remember? Oh, come on now. Someone's geared. You're going through them. I don't know if there's a song for the Ten Commandments. If you don't, that's fine. It proves my point even more. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not covet. That is the last one. It, it, a lot of times that's overlooked. We know thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not uh, uh, bear false witness, and make into the any graven images. But we get to that last one and we're like, ah. I'm a little fuzzy now. I got through a few of them. But it's thou shalt not covet. Now that's a little foreshadowing into what we're going to get to. But let's take a look. Let's just kind of go back 2,000 years. Zero in on a day in the life of Jesus. Look at verse 12. Or chapter 12, verse 1. I think verse 1 has some interesting language. It just says, in the meantime. It's how it starts. I don't ever really see that in, in the Gospels. But it just starts with, in the meantime. And then watch where else it goes. It says, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people. So there's a large group of people. You don't usually hear him say that an innumerable multitude of people, but Jesus had a crowd that the author looks at. I, I can't even really count them. There was just so many people that were following Jesus at this time. It says, and then he goes on and says, insomuch that they trod one upon another. They're, they're like walking on each other. They're, they're bumping into each other, walking on each other, because they all want to get to see and hear Jesus. He's a miracle worker. He's a teacher. They, they want to be around him. And so it is just, it is chaos in a sense around Jesus at this time. And it says, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, and so it's, it's almost the scene is like you got this innumerable amount of people and you guys represent that, although this class does not have an innumerable amount. I can count you pretty easily. But, but there, it was kind of everybody trying to get to Jesus and his disciples over here and he, and he sees everybody and he kind of turns to be, begin first to talk to his disciples. And the reason I'm setting all of this up is because when we get to verse 13, in the midst of his conversation with his disciples and maybe those that could hear him, Somebody's going to come and interrupt him. Have you ever been interrupted? If you're a parent, you have. Because you're talking to a human being, like parents try to do sometimes, and a little kid's going, hey, dad, 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 mom, mom, mama, hey, hey, hey. They have no respect for this conversation that's going on. You know that interruption. 
We, we kind of understand it when it comes to kids, and we try to teach our kids, hey, when I'm in a conversation, you wait. You don't, we've, we've all been there. But when it's a grown adult, and Jesus in the middle of a conversation, and the grown adult saying, hey, master, hey, 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 come here. Hey, can you do something for me? All of us, I know what my sister would do, because she, anything that's awkward, it, it, an awkward moment, like right now if I'm teaching and someone walks in and interrupts my class, she probably <laughs> feels awkward. But if someone stood up and kind of said, hey, can you do this for, and started challenging me, some, some introverts in here would get really nervous right now, okay? It would really get awkward. And so Jesus is in the middle of a conversation and he gets interrupted. So I, just in my normal teaching, in my study, I thought, I want to back up and what was Jesus saying that this guy missed? He was so consumed with interrupting Jesus at some time so he can get what he wanted. What was he missing? And so I don't want to teach this, but let's just for a second sit down and, and imagine that we're listening to Jesus teach. Now you guys already know in a few minutes somebody's going to interrupt him. And how is Jesus going to pivot in that moment? But here's what Jesus was teaching. Watch. He says, first of all, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So he's talking about hypocrisy in the first three verses. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. So he's dealing with hypocrisy. He says, hey, you can't hide anything from God. Now, everything's going to be revealed in time. Verse 3, therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in the darkness shall be heard in the light. That which ye have spoken in the ear in the closet shall be proclaimed upon the housetop. So the first thing, Jesus just talking to his disciples and those that could hear of the, in the multitude, he's just saying, hey, you got to be careful. Beware of hypocrisy in your life because you, you may think that you're hiding some things. You may think that you're concealing some things, but God sees and knows everything. And so it's going to be revealed in time. You can't cover your sin. Eventually your sin will be revealed. So that's the first part this guy kind of missed was something on hypocrisy. And so, but then he's just going on. He says, and I say unto you, my friends. So he's now he's kind of turned to more than the disciples to everybody. I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body. Now there's some maybe some uh, soldiers and them in that day that were threatening and they could kill you. And he says, don't be afraid of those that can just kill your body. Well, I would be stopping and thinking, why not? I mean, if someone wanted to kill me right now, I'd probably be a little bit fearful. I'd be a little bit nervous. But he says, don't fear them that want to kill your body. And after that, have no more that they can do. Because once they kill you, it's over. Well, that's, that's a very pretty big deal. But he's saying this, if all you focus on is this earth, then yeah, that's a big deal. But once someone takes your life, they can't affect what happens in eternity. And I, I, I shouldn't stop, but I'm going to. Did I you guys... this on the web. <laughs> Thank you, Siri. <laughs> Siri's talking. You guys, uh, right before a serious moment, but did you guys hear about the, the missionary this, um, that was murdered in front of his family this week? I don't know if you've heard about that. He was, the reason why it hits kind of closer to home to some of our circles that we fall in, in the Independent Baptist is because he used to be a teacher, I think, at Crown College, or he was there at Crown College for a while, which is a lot of people, they either go to Pensacola or they go to Crown College, or even some of our, my friends and some others uh, maybe have, have uh, went there. But he was in Iraq and there in front of his kids. How many kids did he have? Anybody remember? Does anybody see? But there in front of his kids... He was, he was killed. And then they, they did get his family safely. Supposedly they're going to be getting him safely back to the U.S. 
So here he is, and uh, he died, and for his faith there in Iraq. Now the Iraqi people have shunned this, and they said it was nothing that we wanted a part of, and they've kind of uh, wrote some good articles about him. But here was someone that that some man or men took his life. They killed his body, but his soul went to heaven. And they can't do anything now. So he says, hey, don't fear those that can kill the body, because that's as far as they can go. But then he builds on that. He says, but I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. So what is he saying? Fear God. Because God has the ability not only to kill your body, but God has the authority, because he's the creator, to cast your soul into a place called hell. We need to reverence God. And he's saying to people, a numerable amount of people, hey, you're living in fear of a, of a king who can maybe kill your body. You need to have a fear and reverence of God. Now, we understand fear is we don't tremble of God. If you're a sinner, maybe you may at first. But once you realize and become a part of God's family, he's a loving heavenly father. But he, he is sovereign over my soul. And so he goes on, and then in verse 6, he deals, so this guy, he, he missed this talking about fearing God and not man. And then in verse 6, he says, Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Isn't that an amazing statement? That these birds are sold. We, they buy and sell birds back then. I mean, they would use them for sacrifice, buy and sell. Give no thought about a bird. We just went on a vacation last week. We probably saw birds and I couldn't even name one I couldn't even think of one I, we didn't care it was just who cares there's a bird it's flying around it's going in that fountain that we were walking by and all this it doesn't matter but God hasn't forgotten a single bird he says in this text not a single one and so he says he, he goes on verse 7 even the very hairs of your head are all numbered fear not therefore for ye are more value than many sparrows. And now he's talking about the fact that we don't have to worry. He just said worrying about your soul and things. But now he's saying you don't have to worry in life because God who even cares about sparrows who you and I don't even acknowledge, that same God knows everything about you. The number of hairs on your head, he knows everything that you're going through. So he says don't fear. Trust God. So he had the lesson on fear and worry. Then verse 8, he says, Also I say unto you, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. So even the big question everybody always wants to ask me, this is I'm not going to try to answer right now, but the big question everybody asks, what is the blaspheming against the Holy Ghost? And is that the one part of that big question that everybody likes to ask 2,000 years later, he missed because he was so consumed with himself. Verse 11, and when they bring you to the synagogues and the magistrates and the powers, take you no thought how or what thing ye shall answer or what ye shall say. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour, what you ought to say. He missed a lesson on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to help you in a time when you need an answer. So all of that, okay, I said all of that and I shouldn't have, but I said all of that to, to put you in the scene when Jesus is just talking to his disciples in the innumerable crowd that could listen. And he's just teaching them about these things. And all of a sudden, in the middle of this, he says, For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what things you ought to say. And all of a sudden, hey, 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 master, master, master. All of a sudden, he's interrupted. It says, and one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother. 
and divide the inheritance with me. I would be okay with this guy right here if he said, hey, master, wait, right there. On that point, you just said that the Holy Spirit's going to come and, and, and he's going to help us with an answer. What is? If you had said that, I'd be like, all right, this guy's okay. He's a little weird because he just yelled it in the middle of the class, all right, but I'm going to give it to him, all right? That's fine. I shouldn't say that because some of you yell in the middle of my class and you're not weird, all right? I'm just kidding. But I would have said, okay, I understand him. But he doesn't. Here's what he does. He says, Master. And then he says something totally different that he's not been talking about the old time. And it's all centered around himself. Look at what he says. He says, Master, speak to my brother that he defied the inheritance with me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not what we're talking about. What are you, what are you talking about? We're not, we're, we're not even discussing an inheritance. I, what, of, of the innumerable amount of people that are here, and you want me to stop everything so I can help to your little family affair right now? When I'm in the middle of a sermon? And that's what he wanted. Hey, it's all about me. I want my inheritance. My brother's not giving it to me. And back then you may remember that the elder, just remember this, Rebecca and Brian over there, the elder got two-thirds. All right, so I should get two-thirds of dad's debt all right that's great so you get two-thirds and then the the rest get whatever and so but he wanted this divided and he was fighting over this and he said in a man who shall who and then jesus said man who made me judge or divider over you see jesus didn't come to this earth to to sit there as a judge in the sense to to deal with these affairs of inheritance he came to die for our sins. He came to teach about his redemption. He came to teach about his coming. He's not going to deal with these different things. But then Jesus looked beyond the inheritance and he looked like he does to you and me to the heart. And although there's a innumerable amount of people and this guy's being selfish, he said there is something in his heart that a lot of you struggle with and that I struggle with and I'm sure this class struggles with. So he's going to deal with that. So he pivots. So look at what he says. And he said to them, take heed. And beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them. So here he is. He says, I want you guys to take heed and beware of covetousness. An easier way to say it is greed, but he's dealing with the same thing. Greed or covetousness. One guy said, greed of gain is nothing less than the dedication of self and if our minds are set on hoarding wealth, then we become idolatrous. Idolatrous. Someone else said, charity gives itself rich. Covetous hoards itself poor. Think about that. Charity gives itself rich. You can't give enough. And God takes care of those that give. I'll come back to that later. But covetous people, they hoard, thinking they're going to have, and they really become poor. Matthew Henry said, covetousness is commonly a master sin, and it has the command of other lusts. So when you are coveting, and even if you go back to the Ten Commandments in the final one, he gives some illustrations. He says, thou shalt not covet. Then he says, don't covet your neighbor's wife. So covetousness is a master sin that can lead to adultery. I covet my neighbor's wife. It's a master sin that can lead to stealing because I covet what you have, and so I go steal it. So it, covetousness can lead to other sins, is what he's saying here. But it all comes from a heart of greed. Now I'm going to get to the parable, but I'll give you this quick test. I found someone, uh, Stephen Cole, gave five questions to ask yourself to see whether or not you may be greedy. And I, 
I want to go through these fast and not kind of dig into this because I want to get to the last part of this parable. But he says, here's some questions just to, just to kind of meditate on a little bit for you. He says, do my thoughts more often run after material things than after God himself? Do I ever compromise godly character in the pursuit of material gain? So I may, in that situation, cheat or lie or steal to get ahead a little bit financially because all I care about is my money. Sometimes I see that working in a bank. Someone will come in and I'll say, hey, I have to show income in order to do this. They say, well, I just kind of do this and this and this because I don't want, whoa, I don't, no lying and cheating and stealing. Number three, do I enjoy material things more than I enjoy knowing God? Number four, how do I respond when I lose material things? When the stock market drops or when I fall apart, will I fall apart emotionally? So when I lose material things. Number five, what would I do if I suddenly came into fortune? Those are just some questions that he put to see, to kind of prick at the heart of us, to try to get below the, the levels, the surface level, and to say, am I full of greed? Is there any part of me that maybe I wouldn't interrupt Jesus if he was teaching, but I may be one of those in the crowd that I would have some greed in my heart. And I think Jesus knew that. And so because of that, he chose this opportunity and this man's selfishness to teach a crowd of people that may struggle with covetousness. And here's the parable that he taught. He told them to beware of covetousness. And then he gave this illustration, a parable we've been saying is basically an illustration, something that they would understand to prove a point. Here's what he says. Look at the parable. He says, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentiful. Now that back in that day, that's huge. If you have ground that can bring forth a lot of crop, that is great because that was everything back then, crop and ground for that. That's how you made your money. So he, this rich man had ground that brought forth plentiful and he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And therefore will I bestowed all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, drink and be merry. Did you notice the emphasis there? Because I was reading weird. I hope you did. Because if not, I was just reading weird. But the man was so focused on himself. He says, what am I going to do? I've got all this money and I don't know what to do with it. And so I guess I'll just tear down these barns that I have that were satisfactory at one time and build bigger barns, and then I'm going to have more goods and more goods and just myself, and then I'm just going to take it easy, and I'm going to live it up. It was all about himself, nothing about giving, nothing about God, all about himself. And in verse 20, was one of those but God statements that I taught a lesson on a while back, but but God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? He said, you're foolish. And he wasn't foolish, don't get this wrong, he wasn't foolish because he had money. The richest person in this room is not less or a worse Christian than the poorest person in this room. Being poor isn't a spiritual thing. Being poor in spirit is, but being poor, having no money, you're like, well, I have no money, so I'm the most... No, no, no. And because you're rich or you may have a lot of money, you may be living comfortable, doesn't mean that you're not right with God. But what, it, what we have to be careful of is having this mindset of ourselves and not others, a mindset of ourselves and not God. 
focus on material things in this world that can be gone like this and not the eternal laying up treasure in heaven, which he's going to get to. So he calls him a fool, but not because he was rich, but it's because he, how he handled and viewed his life and his riches. And then the last verse 21, he says, he called him a fool and he says, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself. So he's also a fool that is, and he lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That's the big phrase of this whole parable. So the foolish person is the person that lives everything for themselves. And it's all about building your little kingdom and you're not rich toward God. Again, if you have money, that's not necessarily a problem. I don't think anyone, and if you ever come into my office at the bank, I'm not going to look and say, whoa, you make that much money? (laughs) Not very spiritual, not going to happen. But if money grips your heart more than God, we have issues. There's a problem between you and God. And so how do we become? He says the emphasis on this is being rich toward God. When Warren Risby said this about that parable, he said, people who are satisfied only with the things that money can buy are in great danger of losing the things that money cannot buy. Now think about that. If we're so consumed with the things that money can buy, we're going to lose out on the things that money cannot buy. A relationship with God, walk with God, walking in the Spirit, which was our last series, and things of that nature. If we so consume with material things and so consume with the greed in our hearts, he tells us to be rich toward God. And, and, and this word of treasure that we saw right here in verse 21, he says, So is he that layeth up a treasure. It's, it's someone, a treasure means that which is deposited, it's to place something in. If we're placing all of our trust in our riches and our material goods, they may be wiped out. Just ask Job one day. Job one day lost everything. But who was he trusting in? He was trusting in God. He continued to have his eyes on God. And so how do we then become rich towards God? That's how really I want to wrap this up is to talk about that because I think that's the answer. The only way for us to get our eyes off of the things of this world is to be rich toward God. So what does it mean then to be rich toward God? He doesn't necessarily tell us. Where he goes next, which I do think is interesting and worth showing in verse 22 Jesus then pivoted from his parable and he goes right back and he says, and he said unto his disciples, therefore I say, take no thought for your life what you shall eat, neither for your body what you shall put on. Isn't it interesting where he goes to? He goes right back to worry. Because why? Because you know some of the richest people are the biggest worriers. And Solomon talked about that in Proverbs and he talked about it in Ecclesiastes. Why? Because they're constantly worried they're going to lose what they have. What if this happens? What if, what, if, what if the stock market happens here? What if this happens? And they're constantly worried. What if someone steals this? That's what Proverbs and, and Ecclesiastes talks about. The more that you have, the more you worry about protecting everything so nobody takes it. And we start to worry and worry and fill with anxiety. And here Jesus says, hey, don't, don't worry. I, I'm going to take care of you. I, not, it's not saying be lazy. He's not saying don't work. Don't work hard. Don't have a good job. Don't invest your money. He's not saying all that. He's just saying... Don't worry. You're in good hands. God's pretty good at taking care of people. And he's not worried at all about our finances. And so if God is giving you money, great. Be wise with it. Be giving with it. And I'm going to show you that. Notice how do we become rich toward God? I wrote, I wrote down three things and then I'm going to take you to a text. So I'm going to give you three thoughts. And some verses in there. Then I'm going to take you to a text. But I was dwelling this week about being rich toward God. I think it starts with the riches of Christ. We have to understand the riches of Christ. If you don't have a relationship with God, 
and then you have none of those riches in Christ. You've not laid up the ultimate treasure in heaven, which is your salvation. And I think about in Ephesians chapter 2, and it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, now watch this next verse. That in the ages to come, he may show you the exceeding riches of his grace and the kindness through our Lord Jesus Christ. The, the, the most expensive thing that you have is your soul. And if Christ who died for your sins, and when you receive Jesus Christ, that is a, there's riches laid up for you in heaven in that. And, and if someone doesn't know Jesus Christ your Savior, which maybe this young man, he was so worried about everything, he's ignoring the, the greatest truth he had, the greatest opportunity he had, which was to learn from Jesus. He missed all of it because he was fearful about something that was temporal. That inheritance was going to go away eventually. But he missed the riches of Christ. So I think, I hope everyone in this room has trusted Christ as their Savior. And you understand that the riches that you have in Jesus Christ... But then I wrote, secondly, just thinking through this, is about the riches of compassion. Riches of compassion. In Luke 18, verse 22, Jesus says, Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto them, Yet lackest thou one thing. He says, Sell all that thou hast, and distribute to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Now, that's one verse out of context. So if you say, Oh, okay, well, you've got to leave here and go sell everything, give it to the poor, and I'll have a treasure in heaven. He's in the context of a man came to him and said, hey, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus knew this guy's heart. He was covered. He was full of greed. Because the man said, I've lived all the commandments. I mean, I've done about everything, so I'm sure I'm going to get to heaven. Because Jesus said, well, keep the commandments and you'll be fine. You'll go to heaven. And a lot of people ask this question too. Why did he say that? Why didn't he say be saved? Because he was getting to the sin problem. You can't be saved unless you realize you're a sinner. This guy thought he was fine. Because he told Jesus, he said, I've kept all the commandments, I'm good. And Jesus said, hey, wow, wonder amazing. Then all you got to do then is just go sell all your goods and, and you'll have treasure in heaven, you'll go to heaven. Well, what was Jesus getting at? He wasn't giving us 2,000 years later the pattern to get to heaven. He was dealing one-on-one -on -one with a guy who was so full of covetousness and didn't see it. And so when Jesus said, hey, go sell all your stuff, give it to the poor and you'll be fine, you'll go to heaven. And the guy said, whoa, I can't do that. Why not? Because he was so full of greed, the 10th commandment. And Jesus revealed his sin so that later, we don't know about this man, he could see the gospel. If you don't understand you're a sinner, you're not going to get saved. And so, but in that, within that, we do see, uh, I think, a principle there. But then without, outside of that principle, because he said, distribute to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. I think he's trying to get at the heart of that person. But if we went over to Philippians, which, our, which Caleb's dad during our missions conference did, there's that verse he says, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. But what is the context of that verse? Because we've got to know the context. Remember, he, and he taught it very well. The context of that verse that we all want to go to and say, hey, God is going to supply my needs. Well, the context of that is they were giving to missions. They were giving to others and helping others. And because of their compassion, God said to them, hey, I'll supply all your needs. As you are giving to help others, I'll make sure all of your needs are met. So how do I lay up treasures in heaven? And how do I know that I have access to the riches of God? By making sure that I'm taking care of others. Doesn't mean everybody under the overpass you have to take care of. Some of you are going to be more sensitive to that. You're going to think, I have to help every single person I see. No, I just think we have to be a giving people. 
give to our missions, give to church, we give to people that have need, we help others, we give of our time, we give of our talents that we saw last week, we try to help people, be a giving person, which is the opposite of this guy in our story and this guy in the parable, right? Because remember, they were all filled with self. The first guy said, I don't care that everybody's learning from the greatest teacher of all time, I'm going to interrupt everything to make sure I get my money. Selfish. The second guy in the parable said, I don't care what's going on all around me. I've got to tear down barns, build bigger barns, and it's me, me, me. It's all he was talking about. Selfish. What Jesus is teaching here is be compassionate to others. I'll take care of everything you need me to take care of. So there's the compassion of Christ, or the riches of Christ, riches of compassion. Then I call the last one that I'm looking at here the riches of consecration, which is another word for surrender. But it's, just, it's another word for this. When you and I live the Christian life, and we live it, if, you, if I can tie my last series in here about walking in the Spirit, there's, the Bible says there's crowns laid up for us in heaven. Now, I don't have time to kind of go to all the texts, but can I, I did write some of these down. There's one crown, it's called the crown of life. You can study it, it's in James 1.12 and in Revelation 2.10. It's, it's given to those that persevere under trials. And I had James 1.12 memorized until I stand in front of you guys and you're intimidating and I can't remember it now. But it says he, it talks about he that endures shall receive a crown of life. And it's the context of James 1.12 is all about the first part of it's temptation, like tempted to do evil. But the second part is talking about going through trials. If you go through trials in your life, trials may be the death of an 11-year-old, but staying faith, 11-month-old and staying faithful to God. It could be just going through some, it could be this family that just endured what they are endured that I mentioned in Iraq. But it could be other trials, but you keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. The Bible says, he that endureth, there's a, there's a crown of life laid up for them. There's a crown of righteousness mentioned in 2 Timothy 4.8. It's promised to those that just love and anticipate his coming. This one's always been an interesting one to me. So if you just are someone that can't wait for the rapture and you love and you, you're anticipating his coming... Bible says there's a crown waiting up for you. I don't know how all the details work out. I haven't read the fine print on that, okay? So I don't know how that works. I'm not going to get to heaven, I guarantee, and say, ah. I mean, did I weigh, did I look forward to the coming more days than I didn't? I don't know how all the fine print. I just know what the Bible says in that one. Do we look for his coming? Do we anticipate it? It says there's a crown of glory to those to pastors that are going to be is granted to the pastors that served their congregation well. First Peter chapter five is a crown of rejoicing for those. Do you realize when you lead someone to Christ, when you when you when you see people saved, or I wonder if it's even when you lead like uh, the Sunday school teacher led D.L. Moody, the Lord D.L. Moody then led many people to Christ. There's crowns laid up for you there as well, according to the Bible. So I, I don't know how all the fine print and how all that works. I just know that's a little part of it, how we can be rich toward God. But none of that was focused on ourselves. It was all focused on others. And so the last thing I want to say to you here about being rich towards God, take your Bible if you still have it and go to 1 Timothy 6 and we'll wrap it up right here at 1 Timothy 6. Because I think you guys are getting the idea so far of this text. Covet covetousness is one of those and i said it this morning when we were praying with the other teachers i said this is one of those that we have to be careful because it's easy to to teach it it's easy to look at others and not see it hidden in our own hearts so but in first timothy chapter six he says this starting in verse six he says but godliness that would be our last series just walking in the spirit just trying to be like god godliness with Notice that next word, contentment. 
You know what contentment is, right? It's like the opposite of covetousness. Contentment is saying, hey, with what God has given me, I'm content. I'm content. I'm thankful. I don't have to have every, the greatest. I'm just thankful for what God has given me. But he says godliness and so walking in the spirit with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And then you insert there that joke that everybody says, uh, you, you never have a hearse followed by, what is it, you never riches? I don't remember that joke now. I just lost it. But the people always talk about, you, never, you can't take, take your stuff with you. You don't ever see a hearse. What is the joke? You guys remember that? You don't ever see a hearse followed by you all. There you go. Man, I knew you guys knew it, but you hear it every time someone preaches on this verse, but I couldn't think of it. So I knew you guys would have it. But he says, you can't carry anything out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and the snare. Doesn't say having money is wrong. It's the love of money that consumes you. But, if, but understand, though, that if you are rich, you do fall into a temptation, and it could be a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money, the desire, the consuming nature of money is the root of all evil. For while some coveted after, there's our word, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows, and then in verse 11, he tells us, I think, how to be rich toward God. He says, but thou, O man, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold of eternal life, whereunto thou art called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. That's what he tells him to do. So he's, he gives him a warning in this text. Timothy writes this and he says, hey, I want to warn you about money. It, it's... If, you, if that's your love and your passion, it consumes you and you can't get away from that, that's covet, you're coveting. Many fall away from the faith. Many get discouraged. It leads to a lot of things. Instead, we need to follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, patience. That sounds a lot like the fruit of the Spirit. So don't be consumed with the things of this world, but be consumed with Jesus Christ. And when you're consumed with Jesus Christ, the things of this world may or may not come. I don't know. But when they do, they're not going to rob you and they're not going to distract your heart from the things of God because you're so consumed with Jesus that anything else is just icing on the cake. And so I hope this lesson, uh, this little parable will kind of get us to examine our hearts to say, are we greedy? Is there anything about us that are greedy? Or are we trying to lay up treasures in heaven and one day we'll be there? Let's pray. <laughs>